0: hello everyone welcome back to the spooky Soup podcast i'm jesse
1: and i'm tessa
0: so i watched i watched this movie a couple days ago and i'm very shocked that i never watched it before um it's called i believe it's just called ted bundy and it was made in 2002 and no one talks about this movie ever i don't see anything on like tiktok about it like from these horror accounts i follow um but in my opinion, it was the most, uh, like, I would say, like, it was very detailed, but also is the most, like, gruesome. You really see how evil he really was in this movie. Have you seen it?
1: I haven't. I didn't even know that there was an older movie made about him.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they did really good. Like, I thought the movie was actually made in, like, the 80s, maybe the late Or early 90s but I mean that's kind of when he was doing his thing so I was like wow that's a quick turnaround but I looked at the date and it said 2002 or 2003 or something so they made it look like 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 an older movie Um, anyways they did a phenomenal job check it out if you you know I don't know like saying liking Ted Bundy is your thing but you know if you're interested in that um, but Yeah, I'm, once again, shocked that no one has really talked about this.
1: Yeah, I'm intrigued. I want to watch it. That Zac Efron, Ted Bundy movie really was such a letdown. It definitely... I don't know. I'm not on like the, you can't glamorize this train, because I think there's different aspects that you're allowed to show. Um, However, no one cares about his romantic life. No one cares.
0: Yeah, it's very... Weird how they try in my opinion and from others that I've talked to about that one uh, they try to portray him like you feel bad for him yeah and they try to make him like the victim in all of it that's kind of the vibe I got from that movie
1: yeah same here and it wasn't until like the end of the movie you start to see him doing Ted Bundy like the real Ted Bundy things which I didn't appreciate I just I don't know I feel like it could have been done so much better
0: Okay, so there, there was an, a film that came out in 2021 called Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman, starring Chad Michael Murray as Ted Bundy. And that one is pretty messed up. And from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but uh, it's made by the same people who did the Zac Efron version of Ted Bundy. But I, I so I think what they realized in the end was everyone kind of had the same thought as the Zac Efron one, Made you feel bad for him, um, kind of made him the victim, and then in this in this version, it's like a lot more dark, and you you definitely see him as a villain in that one. So I think they they like oh crap we messed up, and then they came out with a, a darker version of it.
1: Oh okay, well then maybe there's a little redemption arc to be had for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> considering but- how badly done that Zach Efron one was yeah
0: and it came out around the same time that Netflix came out with the Ted Bundy tapes series and that was scarier than all any of the movies that I made
1: yeah that was phenomenal
0: yeah wh- that one is oh so good but yeah so check out the one that was made in 2002 it is on um right now it's on YouTube uh for free so you can watch that if you want to see some dark Ted Bundy stuff
1: Yeah, I think I know exactly what I'm doing tonight. (laughs) Awesome. Um, But yeah, on that same note, I feel like... Did you see the Dahmer series? Of course. I felt like that was a really good portrayal of his quote-unquote love life, but you don't feel bad for him like at all. And you still learn a lot of his history without feeling very bad for him.
0: Yeah, it's funny. That's the exact same thing my wife told me when we were watching the series you're like man I hate this guy I want to I want to kill him like I, I do not like him but then when you watch the Zac Efron Ted Bundy you're like like oh man oh he's going to prison
1: Ah, oh, handsome <laughs> oh. dude gosh dang yeah I appreciate the serial killer documentaries and tv series and stuff that are made appropriately even though there's a lot to be said for the victims of Dahmer and how they reacted to that that's a different story. But you get what I mean.
0: Totally. So, you have the historical story for us today?
1: I do. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one.
0: Awesome. Um, yeah, and then I have one story for us to read. It's a little bit long, but it was um, sent in to us on Reddit. No
1: way. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to read it.
1: Thank you. I appreciate this so much. I love when people send in their stories.
0: Okay. Um, Anything else before we begin? That's it for me. Okay. So just a reminder for everyone who's new to the podcast, um, any images that will be associated with our stories today, we will post those on our Instagram. You can view those there, or you can check them out on our TikTok. Okay. So this story was submitted by you slash underscore right-handed, and right is spelled W-R-I-T-E, and it is called, Would You Step Into My Office? It was the first time I stayed late in the office with no one here but the two of us. I could feel the tension looming over us, each for different reasons, me knowing what was to come, and him because he was hoping that he would. I dropped my pen in my frantic scramble trying to get out of his line of sight and quickly picked it up and scurried away. As if cued, the intercom buzzed the moment I arrived at my desk. I put my stuff down and responded. Now the predictable, step into my office. But he was also kind enough to add, please, at, at the end of his demand. I heard exactly how this goes. I had been warned about taking this position. The other girls whispered about how creepy he was or what uncomfortable things he had said to them when he was when he was way too close. There were a lot of rumors. Nothing official, either on the job or legally, but the stories all went the same way. They followed a pattern. Over the last week, I had been watching it unfold. The pacing by my desk, extra assignments, getting unnecessarily close to me when he passed behind. Of course, it was only when we were alone, and his timing was impeccable. I would try to only eat in the break room when others were there, but he would keep me so busy that I'd have to take a late lunch and then coincidentally... That happened to be his lunch time as well. I often would then skip lunch. He would ask for me to get things off of, high, off of high shelves or things that were low to the ground. I was smart enough to be able to get myself out of situations by acting clueless or, and or asking for assistance from someone else. I was not sure if he noticed that I was aware of what he was doing and avoiding him, or if he just thought that I was a typical blonde airhead but I knew what he was trying to do. As I took reluctant steps down the hall, I recalled all the versions of the of this story I would heard. It was as if I had the playbook in my hand and I could call the next move. I approached his office, being sure to stay in the doorway. No surprise that he asked me to come in. He sat at the desk with a big grin. I took a small step in, being careful to keep my back close to the doorway. I heard this part of the story too. How he would make space between me and the door so he could get between... Due to budget cuts, the janitor is not on shift at this time anymore, so it's just the two of us, and we both knew that. I hesitated in the doorway, trying not to seem as if I found him to be threatening, but also not trying to invite him. He spoke to me in in a tone that was gentle, calm, and reassuring. Oh, Gwendolyn, my dear, you've been a stellar employee, he said it sweetly, but the way he looked at me was anything but even from across the room he felt too close and I could tell he was sizing me up and it made my skin crawl he smiled and had I not known better I might have fallen for it I have noticed how much hard work you've been putting in around here and I want to let you know it does not go unappreciated he made large gestures emphasizing everything he felt was a good point I nodded and thanked him yes well if you would step into my office I would like to talk to you about a possible advancement yes yes he added enthusiastically I did have some work to finish, I thought. That's why I was here tonight. I casually reminded him. I wouldn't want to be behind and have to stay again tomorrow night. I chose my words wisely and I held firm to my position close to the door. Well now, honey, that is what I'm saying. With the promotion, you won't have to be putting in these late hours. You deserve better, surely. He waved me in. I walked in. He shuffled through a stack of papers. I see you put in early hours and holidays, darling. Pat yourself on the back. Hmm, yes, he said, giving me that look a lion gives a frail gazelle. A hard worker, that's important. I thanked him and took a seat. Listen, doll, I like you, so I'm going to give you a piece of free advice, which might even make you rise past me. I sat quietly because I didn't want to say anything that may antagonize him. He continued. You should really use all of your skills to your advantage. You, you're lucky, you know. You don't have to work as hard as I do to get to the top. He clasped his hands and kind of licked his lips. He stood up and walked around the front of his desk and, and sat on the corner close to me. See, a guy like me, no matter how good-looking... And we can both agree, I am. He laughed a little nasally laugh. I did not agree. We have to try harder. Despite our hard work and persistence... Despite my education and training and all my success, he gestured towards his shelf of awards of best sales from several years ago, guys like me nowadays, we get overseen, taken for granted. This rant was part of it too, like a villain monologue before he reveals his master scheme. I'm getting passed up because of things like affirmative action or some disability law or second chance initiative. You see how that might be frustrating, right? He kept going back and forth from composed to unhinged. I sat without making a sound. They're just handing jobs to anyone, even if they're less qualified, to fill a quota. It's all about the quota, right? I nodded to appease him. They give a position that was rightfully mine to... He exhaled hard. (sighs) And then I ask for a well-deserved promotion and get turned down because we have to have room in the budget for a diversity training. Diversity training? What a bunch of bull. How does that earn sales? Am I right? He did not seem to be talking to me as much as he was just raving. Yeah, good luck with that, Jose, getting my numbers. He can't even speak English, am I right? He was not right. Jose's first language was actually English, and being bilingual gave him a sales advantage. I did not say anything, though. I did not mention that his glory days were long gone, and he had not put up those numbers in years. It's a shame the direction this company is going in. I knew it in its heyday, and now he let out a sound of it as if it pained him. If I did not know any better by the way he told it, I would have I would think that the company was headed for bankruptcy. Instead, it was that the new head of the company was a woman, and a black woman, at that. Meanwhile, even a homely looking girl like you can just go sleep with Greg and HR, or even Marianne, if you wanted to. Lucky you, you could just Screw your way right to the top, right to being my boss. Ha! The only qualification you really need is right between your legs. He slipped in into maniacal laughter and added, Isn't that something? He was far too entertained by himself and took a moment to bask in what he considered to be golden. I was still silent. How could I respond to that? Oh, don't look at me like that. His condescending attitude cut me like a serrated knife. I meant it as a compliment. He moved closer to me, and his eyes grew wide. Come on, let me be your first rung on the ladder of success, Gwendolyn. I see you watching me when I walk past your desk, how you eagerly pick up any extra assignments. I know what it is to be around me. You dropping your pen earlier, you know what you're doing. He reached over and touched my leg. I bolted up, knocking over the chair, and I fell to the floor. I tried to spring up immediately, but I fell hard, and I was a little dazed. Oh my, he said, rushing to my aid. He kneeled down, helping me up. I pulled away without trying to seem as disgusted with him as I was, but it was evident. Now, now, don't you overreact. Stop, there's no need to be so hysterical, sweetheart, he hissed like a snake. I started to move towards the door, but it was too late. In an instant, he was in front of it, closing it and ushering me back to my seat. Please, there's no need to act so jumpy. I just wanted to talk to you about how you can be successful. That's everyone's goal, isn't it? Success, right? He spoke in a delicate tone again. He had his arms around me and pushed me towards the chair and sat me down. I let him. Sheesh, really, I don't bite, unless you want me to. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Or am I? I am. He winked and laughed for way too long. Stay seated a moment, he said, and it sounded more like an order than a suggestion. I just want to talk to you, that's all. He adjusted his shirt and tie and took a seat. He went back to the papers he was sifting through before. He made a few sounds of disapproval and interrupted the awkward silence with I see here you don't have much going on educationally. No, no, you don't shame really He shook his head flipping to the next page and your resume is a little on the weak side to be quite frank so let's say you left this place without a good recommendation it could be sad to see what it might do to your future career. He paused as if he were giving me a minute to absorb it He went on. Ask any of the other girls who left without my good word. Not a smart move, but you, you're a smart girl, aren't you? I nodded because I am smart, but also I thought it might be the best to pacify him. (laughs) Yes, I thought so. He seemed relieved. So as I was saying, before you had this little episode there, he said opening a desk drawer and grabbing a bottle of two glasses, he poured them both a little more than halfway and slid one across his, his desk. Would you like a drink? He asked, wearing a vicious smile. I shook my head. Uh, no thank you. Oh, come on, indulge, he coaxed. You're not going to let me drink alone now, are you? I wasn't sure what to say, so I said nothing. But I also did not grab the glass. He seemed annoyed, but he still persisted, gently persuading. Come on, sugar. Is it because you're on the clock? Well, you know what? I will take you off right now, see? "'That is the kind of power I have around here. "'You're welcome,' he said, although I had not thanked him. "'It was as if he wanted me to bow before him. "'Well, he obviously wanted me on my knees in some fashion. "'You're off the clock, Gwendolyn. "'Relax. Take a sip to celebrate a job well done today,' "'he encouraged me as he lifted his glass. "'It was not because I was on the clock that I did not want to. "'It was because I despised that stuff. "'Oh, no, thank you,' I said again, a little firmer but meek. "'Well, that's awfully rude.' Turning someone down when they offer you something, he ridiculed, swigging his drink. He was an overgrown child throwing a tantrum the second something did not go his way. I mean, I think it's pretty damn nice of me to invite you here and to offer you in advance despite your subpar resume and lack of skills, he scoffed. He finished his cup, grabbed the one he intended for me, and I did not speak. And then, i take you off the clock so that you can enjoy the small time you have between now and tomorrow's shift, and you can't even thank me by having a drink with me, he fumed. It seems like I'm more disappointed the longer you're in here with me. He swallowed hard, emptying the glass. You think you might show some gratitude for me, considering you... for this. I know you could use the money, he said as if he knew my life. I was throwing you a bone... I'm clearly out of your league. Look at me. He presented himself to me like a show dog. And look at you. Some more free advice. A little makeup never hurt. He relished in demeaning me. I stood up and headed toward the door. But as I grabbed the knob, it did not turn. It was locked. That is what he had done. Just as the stories went, I was locked in. He had set me up and cornered me like a cat battling around a mouse until it finally ends it. He did not rush over. There was no need. I could not go anywhere and I'm sure he was reveling in the moment of me realizing that. Little did he know that I expected it. I braced myself as he pushed against me from behind the way I knew he would. I did not pull away or resist. He seemed let down by the fact that I did not struggle. You seem like you might be a fighter there for a moment, he snarled in a moist whisper. I did not fight him. I just stood in place, still holding the doorknob, frozen. He kissed the back of my neck and ran both of his hands down my body. I did not move a muscle. Shy girl, huh? He asked. Please don't, I pleaded. You don't have to do this. He grabbed me closer, tighter, panting in my ear. I started to squirm. I mustered my strength and broke free, but it was short-lived. He grabbed me, brutally this time, forcing my arms into my back, behind my back, and holding them there purposefully hurting me to prove his point. He easily overpowered me. He used one hand to restrain my arm and the other to demonstrate his dominance by aggressively groping me. Please, don't do this, I cried. He left my pants alone and grabbed me and started swaying. His damp words in my ear were revolting. Ah, what's the matter, baby? You don't like me? Is that it? You want me to kiss you first, make you feel special. He delighted in his own cruelty. He spun me around and shoved me against the door, hard, banging my head. Then he kissed me violently. It was disgusting and sickening, and I gagged, but it did not stop him from doing it, and he asked me if I liked it. When he kissed me, I reached for the key in his pocket. He hardly reacted. He only slightly chuckled, feisty girl. Then he threw the keys across the room. He turned me around, again slamming me into the door, squishing his body against mine, full pressure, and I could barely breathe. I gasped from being anxious. He eased off me for a moment, but that was when I bit him, full force full force, and drew blood. He screamed, jumping back and slammed me across the face. You crazy bitch! Now we were both bleeding. He was red with rage as he inspected the wound. So you want to play rough, huh? He was livid. Okay, have it your way, Gw- Gwendolyn. No more Mr. Nice Guy, he growled and lunged at me. But instead, he fell to his knees. What? What the hell? He exclaimed, trying to stand up but his legs buckled beneath him. He sat He sat, cradling his legs and howling in distress. Call an ambulance! What is wrong with you? Hurry! He was on the ground, in trouble and in need, and still he was a jerk. Something's wrong, he called out, trying not to sound as desperate as he was. Why are you yelling? I asked him. We both know very well that we are the only two here. Isn't that why you asked me to stay late with you tonight? Because it would only be you and me. And you know that no one here would hear my screams. Now, no one is here to hear yours. This was always my favorite part. What are you talking about, you psycho? He questioned, groaning. He was removing his shoes and inspecting his feet, rocking back and forth. Excruciating, isn't it? I provoked him as I casually paced just out of reach. It's only going to get worse. The role reversal moment always gave me such pleasure. I was giddy. Something about... The shift in dynamics gave me a rush. I tried to contain myself. You can try and stand again if you'd like. I wouldn't mind the laugh. He did again and again, sniveling as his legs turned to jelly and then his arms soon gave way. Despite his massive agony, he managed to scream insults at me. He was whimpering in a pile of himself, useless limbs flailing about. You are a predator, preying on your unsuspecting employees You use your position to manipulate women. You hire them with minimal qualifications on purpose so you can use it against them, all the while dangling a promotion that you know they need in front of them. And then you use that as an opportunity to harass and torment them, knowing you are never really going to promote them. You just want to belittle them, degrade them, take advantage of them, and discard them. But that isn't enough, right? Long-term mental, physical, emotional trauma is not where you stop, no, no, not you. You also have to blemish their professional record to make sure you ruin their future too. Their means of survival, their income, and that same villainous manner he used moments ago. You have to rob them of everything. I grabbed his face as I leaned over and I spoke to him in the same villainous manner he used moments ago. What are you really compensating for, huh? Is it the constant rejection you face because no one wants wants an arrogant, semi-competent, racist, misogynistic loser living in the past? You are vile repulsive, and past your prime, and you know it. You have no redeeming qualities, and no one is willing to give you a thing, so you take it. I knew he would hit me if he could. He barely had range of motion, but what he could do was snatch away. You cannot take what is not yours, what is not given or consented. You are learning this lesson now. This is a public service. He wriggled. The kiss was the first dose, and the bite was the second, but but I won't let you be lucky enough to have the third. I spit at him. "'What are you talking about? "'You're going to jail for this. "'You're going to have nothing. "'Be nothing,' he sounded, all garbled up. "'He was quivering from the stinging sensation "'that started right about now. "'He was becoming a mound on the floor, "'wailing pathetically, although justifiably, "'his woe unheard like every woman "'he had victimized right here. "'See, the first dose was in saliva. "'You did that to yourself "'with that nauseating kiss you thought you gifted me with. "'It starts to weaken you, "'but it takes a few minutes to kick in. "'Oh, but when it does... Well, you'll know. You are feeling it. Paralyzed, but only in mobility. You cannot move. But every nerve ending remains intact so you can feel everything. I was now sitting on the corner of his desk talking down to the withering heap of flesh he was becoming. A pitiful sack of grunts and moans, so different than the moans he made earlier. The second dose, from the bite when you just couldn't take no for an answer. I stood and kicked the gelatinous blob of a man and he was rippled. I sat in his chair and looked at the papers he was reading, none of them none of them having anything to do with me at all. I threw them on the floor, put my feet up on his desk. My desk now. That second one? Well, it will dissolve your internal organs and all your muscles and bones into, well, whatever it is you want to call this, a human smoothie, if you will. I was referencing this current state of liquefying within his skin. Now the third dose, that is the one you would have wanted. That one, that's a mercy one the one to numb you. He was in such misery, I knew he could hardly focus. I went on anyway, adding insult to injury, as he had so many times. But you do not deserve that. Not you. I want you to feel it, every second of it. Just like every single person who stepped in this space of a has-been office. I cannot wait to make it over, by the way, I said, letting my bun down and revealing my tentacles. It squelched eagerly. I was starving, but I was also patient. I walked over and put plugs in his ears and nose. I hated when they leaked before I could do anything about it. He was choking on his own insides as they turned into a fine paste. Anything he said now only sounded as if he were gargling. I squatted beside him. I can't hear you. Did you say no? I laughed. I guess enjoying your own humor is understandable. You see, where I come from, I am something like what you might refer to as a black widow. On my planet, food is scarce, and in order to raise our young, we need nourishment. It is what we do, consume our mate. But we dose them. We dose them three times. That third dose is so crucial. It is imperative because we are compassionate and kind. We understand what a selfless sacrifice they are making, and we cannot live with the thought of them dying in a wretched pain. How cold would that be? So that third dose, it is a favor. It does not just cause numbness, but also a state of utter ecstasy and blissful euphoria. Yes, they actually enjoy being devoured, and that is a blessing because it can be a slow insufferable process. He could not move or talk, but his eyes could still slightly react, while they were still round, anyway. The pure terror in them pleased me. When they started to soften, I was ready to release my serum. It was a sticky substance that sealed his lips, nose, ears, the gouge from where I bit him, and anywhere else that he might seep out of. I did not want anything to go to waste. I wanted every solitary drop. I waited in anticipation as the spherical eyes turned into spongy ovals and the small pools. And then small pools. My power was impressive. I fought the urge to pounce, to ravenously feast. The appendage atop of my head suctioned over his eye sockets and I slowly slurped. Taking my time, drawing it out, I battled my instinct to greedily gorge. Calculated sips allowed the consciousness to last longer. And I wanted this to last far more than I wanted to just scarf him down in one gulp. I was careful to keep the skin intact. I had plans for it. Men like him knew other men like him, and that was my favorite kind of meal.
1: Ooh. ugh! I feel all types so of gross about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry. That I uh, should have put a trigger warning on that one. Um. <laughs> It'll be in the
1: description.
0: <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Twist ending. Didn't expect that.
1: I mean, satisfying ending for sure.
0: Alien spider octopus from outer space. Yes. Yeah. Ready for your story. What do you got for us today?
1: Well, first of all, thank you so much for submitting your story to us. We enjoyed reading it and can't wait to hear what our next writers send in.
0: Yeah. So if you guys want to send in your own story, you can uh they can they can be true stories they can be completely made up we don't care as long as they're spooky you can email those to us at spooky soup podcast 801 at gmail.com or you can dm those to us on our instagram
1: all right so with all the recent talk of a treasure chest full of cash being found in utah it's inspired me to look deeply into the lore of a long-standing tale that rules the desert in this western state.
0: Very cool. For those who don't know, Utah does an uh, annual treasure hunt, and it's a uh, big cash prize. This year, it's 25000 and it's hidden somewhere in the it state. It was just found. It was just found by someone that's from out of state. Yeah, who <laughs> traveled here Iowa.
1: three times.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And the hints were so poorly done, in my opinion. I mean, it makes sense in context, but I just have no idea how people put them together.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, they give us clues and say good luck, so.
1: Let's do the next one. We should do like a haunted treasure hunt and only do scary locations. Deal. Deal, we'll hide a body, go find it. (laughs) whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Now, Utah is no rookie when it comes to treasure hunters and wild tales, especially when you look into its nefarious past. You've got Jean-Baptiste, who's perhaps one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of Utah. We covered him a while back, and I highly recommend you listen to that episode if you want to hear the true story of the most notorious grave robber who ever lived, and how he completely just disappeared. We've also got 25th Street in Ogden and Electric Alley, during the prohibition where the railroad brought gangsters and violence. Even Al Capone himself said he wouldn't dare walk the streets of Ogden because he was terrified for his life. One of the most influential people in Ogden's past is Belle London, who was the madam of Electric Alley. She ran the brothels of downtown Ogden uh, under the front of the London Ice Creamery, but the top floor was a brothel. She was influential because she worked for the mayor and she was tasked with helping to clean up the city from illegal activities, which of course we all know how that went, considering that she was in charge of the prohibition and the prostitution of 25th Street. In fact, her story's so wild and such a perfect narrative for a film, I'll probably cover it soon because I'm very intrigued by Belle London. Another figure integral to Utah's dark past is Butch Cassidy. And you know him, you know the one. He's a cowboy of all cowboys, robbing the rich and giving to the poor and killing anyone who got in his way. He was truly a rebel with a cause, and if you can't tell, we're pro-Butch Cassidy over here, even though, yes, he wasn't the greatest person. That being said, what's with all this treasure talk in Utah? After all, we mentioned that $25,000 cash prize that was just found, and it's a ploy to get everyone outside to hike around and enjoy the beautiful state. But... Have you ever heard of the Rhodes Gold Mine? I have not. Well, you're in for a treat, Jesse. I remember growing up hearing tidbits here and there about a mysteriously elusive treasure hidden in the hills. Back in 1849, our main character, Thomas Rhodes, first came to Utah. But as an important part of Utah's history, it should be noted that he converted to the Mormon religion in Illinois in 1835. On one of their first few treks out west, Rhodes and his crew of pioneers traveled very far. Super far, in fact. They completely skipped over Utah and went even more west to California, where Thomas would inevitably take part in the gold rush. Thomas acquired land in California and shortly after settling in, became good friends with John Sutter, who we all know is a man behind the gold rush after a... Now, the story isn't written down, but it's believed that a woman at his mill was the first person to find gold in California. However, it was rewritten. So that's an interesting little tidbit of history to look into. When the leader of the Mormon church at the time, Brigham Young, declared Utah as their place of settlement, he advised Thomas and his crew to return home immediately and be part of their community, which they did. Now, you have to understand why Thomas was advised to come back to what was then called Zion. You see, Thomas was in possession of a large amount of gold from his escapades in California, about $17,000 worth of gold back then. While he was gone hunting for gold in California, Brigham Young sent his followers of the Mormon Battalion out to search for gold in Utah, and they only turned up with just dust and flakes and nothing substantial. That being said, Young decided to handwrite money notes as a form of exchange with the promise that each would be backed by gold. Well, eventually the gold dust ran out and the ratio was way off to what it should have been with money notes to gold in the storehouse. Knowing that Rhodes was in possession of a large amount of gold, and desperate to make the state of Zion something bigger than it was, Brigham Young begged Thomas to return and be part of the community. And it worked. And soon after, Thomas was on his way back with all of his gold in hand. According to the Camas Valley History Group, Rhodes donated over $10,000 worth of his gold supply to the local mint, meaning that the settlers would have a massive jump in their exchange now, starting the economy of Utah. This, of course, made him quite the popular and wealthy man in the beginning of Utah's established history. He fathered almost three dozen children, (laughs) with four of his many wives and had one of the best-looking homes in Salt Lake City, which was located just a block away from downtown LDS Church headquarters. Of course, a man of prominence has to have an equally prominent name, right? And from then on, Brigham Young referred to Thomas as Father Rhodes and is mentioned as such in all of his writings, so I will also now refer to him as Father Rhodes. Around this time, Brigham had a secret top-secret mission for Father Rhodes. He had been advised by a Native American Ute named Chief Walker or Chief Wakara, depending on the context, who was a recent convert to their church. And Chief Walker informed Brigham Young that the Utes safeguarded a mine of hordes of Spanish gold, which was hidden in the High Uinta Mountains. He told Brigham that the name of the gold site was car Ob or There Dwells the Great Spirit. It was rumored to be enough gold to supply the Mormon church with more than enough wealth, more than they could have ever imagined at that time. The chief said the natives didn't have much use for the gold and harbored resentment over its origination due to Spanish mining and expense of the locals. Brigham Young, he became utterly obsessed with this idea, and he sent Father Rhodes on a top-secret mission to take the gold out of the mine. Apparently, Chief Walker said only one person at a time was allowed to know its secret location, and that the site was constantly under surveillance, and that whoever was to claim the gold could only take as much as they could carry per visit. According to family accounts, Father Rhodes made multiple trips to the mine, and in each trip, he returned with 62 pounds of gold because that's all he could carry. He kept the location of the hidden mine close to his chest, and reportedly only told his son Caleb its location as he lying ill on his deathbed. Caleb reportedly made many trips to the mine, and many people claimed to have seen him with large amounts of gold in his home, just inexplicably piles of gold. That was until Chief Tabby, a descendant of the original Chief Walker, denied him access to the mine. Frustrated, Caleb attempted to petition the U.S. Congress to give him a lease on the land, free reign, which the mine was on, in exchange for paying off the national debt. And of course, Congress laughed in his face and dismissed his claims because what evidence did he actually provide if he was keeping this a secret? Now, he made many trips to the Uintas before his death, and he also took the secret location of the mine to his grave. There's no record that the public is aware of of donations in gold from the Rhodes family to the Mormon church, other than, than that initial investment that got the local mint going. The story of the long-lost Rhodes gold mine has been passed from generation to generation, with many, many people searching for it. The legend of the lost mine is super dark, as people have died searching for it in the most horrible ways imaginable, like freezing to death kidnapping and murder including a typical western cowboy shootout in the mountains in a cabin filled with gold-hungry outlaws fueled by their outrage of not finding this mine and so much more is just associated with the hunt of the mine that the locals have started this rumor or they believe that it's now cursed it's the reason the gold mine is associated with the saying, for every ounce of gold in the mine's gallons of blood have been spilt. Yet, the allure of the gold lives on, and people to this day are searching for it. Surely not too seriously, because it's never been found and is more likely than not just a story. But hey, if you take a trip to the Uintas anytime soon, as it is prime camping time in Utah right now, take a stop at Moon Lake and look for the monster of its depths, or perhaps wander over to the hills where the gold mine beyond your wildest imagination awaits rediscovery. Oh, and if you find it, just for me, say, There's gold in them hills when you do.
0: What the heck? How do I not know about this? That is so cool.
1: Yeah, I've heard about it.
0: I know, I I know heard- where it is. Okay, I don't, but that'd be really cool.
1: Actually, yeah, you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, treasure hunting, like ever since I saw a national treasure as a kid, I was like, man, that would be the dream. Right. <laughs> Gosh. Well, uh, is, is, uh, you think Butch knew anything about this gold?
1: Could have been since his, one of the lores of Butch Cassidy is that he had his own gold stash hidden in a cave in Southern Utah. Yeah. And, uh, someone in our family claims to have found it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, By the way, we're related to Butch Cassidy. so (laughs) Which is why we love him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very exciting. If you guys want to go treasure hunting in Utah, let us come with you.
1: (laughs) Take us with you. Yeah. I want (laughs) to figure out if this is true or, you know, maybe (laughs) if you're from Utah, you know about this, but there's Rhodes Rolls, which is like really famous in supermarkets. It's just these frozen rolls that you take and bake at home. So, maybe the gold is hidden in the rolls.
0: Yeah, it's in every roll. There's a little speck of gold. <laughs>
1: Just a little bit. It's the roads, rolls of gold. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Say that 10 times fast.
1: <laughs> Rhodes, rolls of gold. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. Well, do you have anything else for us today?
1: That's it for me. All
0: right, guys. We'll scare you in the next one.
1: Stay spooky. Bye.